The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This is Catholicism on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Gordiano, and I am joined by His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Restoration Radio is pleased to present This is Catholicism, free of charge to our listeners by the generous sponsorship of Australian Catholic Mission. This is Catholicism, the Catechism Show, is using the text, A Complete Catechism of the Catholic Religion, by Father Joseph de Harva, S.J., and it is available in the public domain as a PDF, and used and reprint copies are still available. More information is in the show notes. Your Excellency, we finished the introduction on the end of man last episode, so now we continue with Part 1, On Faith, Chapter 1, Faith in General, The Nature and Necessity of Faith, Questions 1-9, through and The Object and Rule of Faith, questions 10 to 18. Uh, Question one, Your Excellency, what is faith? Well, faith in general, if we first talk about natural faith, is to assent to something as true based on the authority of someone else's saying it. So we, every single day, make acts of faith natural faith, the the whole day long. If we hear of a plane crash or a train crash or a, a car accident, we don't see it with our eyes. We believe the reporters that tell us these things. We are certain that they are true. And the reason why we are certain that they are true is uh, for two reasons. And these are the two conditions of any faith. That is, that the persons who are speaking about this know what they're talking about. That is, they are eyewitnesses or they have interviewed eyewitnesses. They are reliable in the sense that they know what they're talking about. They're they're not just repeating hearsay. And secondly, that they are truthful. That's the second condition of faith that we have to have confidence that they are truthful and they're not lying to us. So when they report an accident or a plane crash, we, they have no motive to lie. And since everyone accepts these things to be true, we would say, well, this is reasonable to believe this, that this happened. So when we listen to the news, when we go shopping and pick off the shelf things that have labels on them that say they're wholesome food, uh, we make acts of faith. We make an act of faith every time we put that food to our lips. Uh, we make acts of faith when we convict somebody uh, of murder and uh, tell them to spend the rest of his life in jail because we listen to the testimony, we assess the truthfulness of these persons and their ability to testify, the fact that they know what they're talking about, and based on that testimony, we make judgments about people's lives that very, very deeply affect their lives. So the whole world operates on natural faith. Now, supernatural faith is to believe what God says based on the authority of God revealing. So he fulfills splendidly the two conditions of faith, and that is, one, he knows what he's talking about, because he is God, he knows all things, and he is revealing himself. 
So there is no question about his ability to to know what he is talking about. Secondly, he fulfills the condition of veracity because he cannot deceive. He, it is impossible, it is against his essence to deceive us. So we have the perfect motive of belief there. And so when God reveals himself, we naturally, that is, it would be our immediate inclination to believe what he says. Now we must know that God is revealing himself and and he has guaranteed his revelation by miracles and prophecies. So he has accompanied his revelation by signs whereby we can see, any reasonable person could see, that this comes from God. So our Lord for example, perform many, many miracles during his public life in order to reinforce the supernatural source of what he was saying. And these were written down by the evangelists, and their testimony is given to us in the Holy Gospels. And that would be a whole other thing to talk about, the veracity and and, and uh, truthfulness uh, and reliability of the Gospels. But they are both reliable and truthful, and therefore we take that revelation and we believe it. Now, because our Lord has revealed supernatural truths, we need a supernatural virtue in order to know them. It is something like uh, putting on, uh, uh, using a telescope or, or in some way enhancing the eye in order to see something distant, or even some special glasses in order to look at the sun. In other words, our faculty of the intellect needs to be elevated in order that it adhere to and assent to the truths that God has revealed. And this is the virtue of faith, the supernatural virtue of faith. It is a help given to the intellect in, <clears throat> in order that it is sent to the truths of the Catholic faith. Faith differs, all faith, whether natural or supernatural, differs from our direct knowledge of something. You see, if we see an accident happen, we don't need to hear anybody tell us about the accident. Uh, we don't need anybody, we don't need to make an act of faith that 2 plus 2 is equal to 4, because we see those things that with our reason. We see mathematical truths by reason. So faith is the uh, ascent to things that are unseen, that we, we do not see of ourselves. And so faith involves the movement of the will, which pushes the intellect to say yes, to things that the intellect does not see for itself. And the will is moved by the what we call the motives of credibility, that is, the miracles and prophecies which testify to us that this is something that ought to be believed. And so the, the will moves the intellect to assent. And that movement of the intellect by the will to assent is under the influence of actual grace in the case of supernatural faith. So the act of faith is an entirely supernatural act. Uh, it is not some mere conviction whereby uh, we are perhaps uh, convinced of the principles of a political party or something. This is a supernatural act which elevates the, the mind and makes it adhere with absolute certitude to what God has revealed. So that's the notion of faith in a nutshell, and that is very different from the common everyday notion of faith. Uh, most people think of faith as a feeling about God, a religious feeling, or a hope and confidence in God. It is neither of those things. It is a very cold act, unemotional act, of assenting to truths and adhering to truths that are revealed by God and which are proposed to us by the Catholic Church. So let's take a look at the answer in the Catechism. Faith is a virtue infused by God into our souls by which we believe without doubting all those things which God has revealed and proposes by his Church to our belief. So that I have already explained. 
And then Father Deharb gives a little explanation of that. To believe means, in general, to hold to be true what another says. And for this reason, because he says it, and I have explained that, to believe God means, therefore, to hold firmly and without doubting what God has revealed. And because he has revealed it, although we can neither see nor completely understand it, obviously because they are supernatural truths. Father DeHarve continues, For faith is founded not on our seeing or complete understanding, but on the Word of God. And he quotes St. Paul, Faith is the evidence of things that appear not. So we should go then to the next question. Question number two. Why do we say that faith is infused by God into our souls? The reason is that just as we cannot go to the moon on a bicycle, uh, so we cannot perform a supernatural act unless God assists us by his grace. The object of faith uh, is supernatural truth. That is truth that is beyond the grasp of the intellect. It is something like the light of the sun, which exceeds the ability of our eyes to comprehend. If we were to look at the sun in a few seconds uh, or before a minute is up, we would be blinded for the rest of our lives. And the reason is that there is so much light in that sun that our eyes would not be able to bear it and they would just be burned out. The same is true of the truth of the faith. God revealing himself is like a, a great burst of sunlight. And our minds are not able to to grasp and comprehend those things without a supernatural elevation. And that supernatural elevation is the light of faith. And it is that which urges the will, which in turn urges the intellect to assent to these things, absolutely, because God has revealed them. So the certitude of faith is greater than any certitude, even mathematical certitude, and therefore cannot even be called into doubt. So uh, let's look at the answer to the question, what do we say, why do we say that faith is infused by God into our souls? Because it is a gift of God and an effect of his grace, which enlightens our understanding and moves our will to believe without doubting all those things which God has revealed. And then he again quotes St. Paul, for by grace you are saved through faith, that, and that not of yourselves for it is the gift of God. So we should thank God for this great gift of faith. Remember the parable of the sower and his seed, uh, which, which uh, happens on Sexagesima Sunday. The word of God is given to everybody. It is spread out to everybody. But there's only one class of people who accept it and, and bear fruit. The rest of them essentially go to hell. Some of them don't pay attention at all. Some are, are, have a, an initial attention but are, are distracted. Uh, in some it takes root, but they commit mortal sins and therefore bears no fruit. It's only in one class of people where the faith takes root and, and bears fruit. And, and so we must thank God for the gift of faith and, and make an act of faith every day and believe firmly the truth that we do know. Uh, it is a great gift of God, and there are many people who do not have this gift. Question three. Why must grace not only enlighten our understanding, but also move our will? Because the intellect cannot, of itself, move unless it sees evidence. You see, the, it's something like the eye. The eye cannot see unless there's light. So you could have, you could sit in a dark room and something could be in front of you just inches away. But if the light is not on, you will never see it. It could be very present to you. It could be a few inches from your eye, even less than an inch from your eye. But if there is no light, then the eye cannot function. And so also, if the intellect does not see something in intellectual light, it cannot function. 
intellectual light means that it makes sense to it. It sees it just like you see a mathematical problem. Two plus two equals four uh, or, or an algebraic problem. You, you see how it all works out. That makes sense to you. That is intellectual light. But when you are told something by God, you don't see the evidence for it. You don't see how it works out. It's a supernatural mystery. And therefore, in order that the intellect give its assent, the will must move the intellect to give assent. And, and therefore, the, the intellect is under the influence of the will. And that's true of every act of faith. If I see on the news that there has been a, a crash someplace, I must be moved by the will to, to assent to that. Uh, because the intellect doesn't see it of its own or on its own uh, and doesn't see it in intellectual light. So it has to move, be moved to that, and that's true of uh, our uh, of supernatural faith. So, uh, and the, the, your author says, the, he gives the answer, because a good will also belongs to faith, for no one can believe but he who is willing to believe. You see, it's the good ground that the Word of God is, uh, in, in which the Word of God is received. Uh, that means that we do not have obstacles in our will with regard to this movement of God's grace. But if we find the faith offensive to our bad morals, for example, then we will reject it. Or if we're too proud to bow down to God, we will reject the faith. We will posit obstacles to the movement of God's grace, and therefore we become people of bad will. And that's why people who repudiate the faith, even though the faith is sufficiently taught to them, if they repudiate it, they necessarily go to hell, because they commit, in a sense, the highest sin against God, in one sense, and that is that they sin against the most fundamental way to adhere to God. And that is to believe what he teaches. So they, they are cut off from God deeply and fundamentally, and they go to hell, even if in their lives they do other naturally good works. So he, the author says, therefore faith is also rewarded by God and unbelief punished. See, it's a meritorious act that requires goodwill. And under the influence of grace, it is meritorious. And so he rewards faith, and he punishes unbelief. So it is a sin not to believe the faith. And to fall away from the faith is a very, very grave sin. And he quotes Saint, uh, our Lord in St. Mark, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. And this is a quotation which goes against everything that Bergoglio is saying. Uh, Bergoglio is saying we should not proselytize. Uh, he says proselytism is all nonsense. That's a quote from him. Uh, proselytism is the missionary activity of the church, going therefore teach ye all nations. And our Lord said this very thing, which we just quoted, as he was saying that to the apostles, teach ye all nations, Teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he adds, those who are, who are uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. And so the church has this grave obligation of going out to all peoples and spreading the word of God. As the sower goes out to sow his seed, and to uh, make every effort possible to draw people to the belief in the true faith. And so Bergoglio is, is essentially condemning people to hell when he says, oh, with no need to, to proselytize. Uh, he just uh, recently said, uh, he told the Anglicans that there's no need for them to convert. Just stay where you are. Question four. Why must we believe all that God has revealed? Because God cannot deceive and cannot be deceived, that is, he cannot be untruthful, and he cannot make a mistake. And therefore, everything he says is absolutely believable 
and absolutely must be believed. So we cannot pick and choose what we uh, believe about God. So uh, he is truth itself. He, he doesn't have the truth. He is the truth. He is subsistent truth. And therefore, everything he says requires our absolute adherence, even to the point of death, which is martyrdom, that, that we adhere to these truths of the faith, even if someone should want to take our lives as a result of our adherence. Question number five. Is faith necessary to salvation? Yes, the answer is faith is absolutely necessary to salvation for, he quotes St. Paul, without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is the first step toward God and the most fundamental step toward God. It is the foundation upon which rest all of the other acts of justification of the soul. So if there is not the first step of believing what God says, you cannot do anything else for yourself in the order of salvation. Even if you, as I said, perform great acts of natural virtue, if you give money away to the poor in, in great quantities, but you don't have faith, you will not please God because you are failing in in the first requirement to please him, to adhere to him. The church is a society of the faith, and adherence to Christ requires first that we believe what he says. So even if, for example, we should fall into mortal sin and lose charity by that, we do not fall out of the Catholic Church by a mortal sin, as long as we still have faith. If we should despair of our salvation, God forbid, and lose hope, we still are Catholics because we have faith. But if we should lose the faith, then we cut ourselves off from Christ because that is the basis of of our adherence to him. Baptism is the sacrament of faith. And in order to approach the baptismal font correctly and without committing a sin, you must have the faith. You must profess the faith. And that's why you are prepared by catechism lessons. And that's why the priest interrogates you concerning the creed during the ceremony, because your adherence to the Catholic Church requires the faith. So the the faith is necessary because it is the foundation of all adherence to God and of all adoration of God. We are displeasing to him if we do not have supernatural faith. And he he quotes St. John, he quotes our Lord in St. John, he that doth not believe is already judged. That means he's already condemned. And he quotes uh, again our Lord in St. Mark, he that believeth not shall be condemned. So it's very clear. Faith is absolutely necessary for salvation. There's no going to God without faith. And this is uh, something that St. Pius X complained of in an allocution to the cardinals. He said that the, the modern error is that there can be a charity without faith, that there can be a love of God without faith. That is, that we can expect to please God without having faith, without adhering to Catholic dogmas. And that's the Novus Ordo, uh, the betterment of humanity, passing over dogmas, uh, religion without dogmas. And it doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, don't, you don't have to proselytize. You don't have to have a missionary effort. Uh, just stay where you are, uh, have an experience of Christ that's sufficient, and work on humanity. We should be sensitive to the poor and people who are at the peripheries. Uh, he says the worst problems that we have are the the fact that the old people are lonely and that the young people don't have jobs. Uh, and while, of course, those things are problems, for him to say that these are the greatest problems of the world shows where his mind is, that 
that humanistic charity, humanistic love, is his religion, and that he divorces religion from faith, uh, because he divorces faith from dogma. For him, faith is an experience of Christ. That's typically Protestant. The Catholic notion of faith is an assent to the truths revealed by God and taught to us by the Catholic Church as having been revealed by God. So uh, it's very important to understand that. Question number six. Will any faith save us? The answer is no. Only the true faith which Christ our Lord has taught will save us. That's so obviously true, because from everything I have said about the faith, it is obvious that you have to be aligned with Christ on the true faith. You have to believe what he says. If you, through your own fault, are are adhering to a false faith, something that you know to be false or highly suspect to be false, how could you possibly please God? That's not a faith at all. It's just based on human convictions and, and a, a collection of human convictions, maybe a few of which have been stolen from the Catholic Church. But that's not the faith. That is not believing what God says. If you take the wrong road, you're not going to arrive at your destination. If you take the wrong flight, you're not going to go where you want to go. And so also the the, the faith is what directs us to God and, may, and makes us adhere to God. If there's something false about that, it will not do its job. And so therefore, false religions are not means of salvation, but they are means of damnation. That is, they have everything necessary to damn your soul to hell. They, it is like a GPS that is going to put you off a cliff uh, uh, and send you to your death as you roll down a mountain and your car catches on fire. That's what a false religion is. It, it is something that will lead you to eternal death. It has all of the, the ability to do that. They are means of damnation. They are not means of salvation, as Vatican II says. They are means of damnation. Because we must adhere to the true faith, we must believe what God has truly taught us, not what human beings have cooked up. So the answer is no, only the true faith which Christ our Lord has taught will save us. And he quotes our Lord in St. John, He that believeth in the Son hath life everlasting, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So those who do not accept the testimony of Christ as being the Son of God and all of the other things that he has revealed will have the wrath of God upon them. And that's proof positive that we must adhere to the true faith. We would like to remind you that you're listening to This is Catholicism on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Guardiano, and I am joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn. And today we've been discussing faith in general, the nature and necessity of faith. We want to remind you that This is Catholicism is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. That's M-A-I-L at truerestoration.org. Question number seven. Why will that faith only which Christ has taught save us? Uh, The answer is simple, because Christ is the Savior, and he's the only Savior. As the author quotes very nicely, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. That's what St. Peter said in the Acts of the Apostles as he preached to the Jews. So there's no other Savior. So in order to be saved, you must adhere to the Savior. You cannot, from everything that I have already said, adhere to the Savior unless you adhere to what he has taught. So if through your own fault you dissent from what he has taught, or you fail to to believe in him, in other words, fail to to see him as the true God and as the Savior of the world, then you are cut off from him and you go to hell. It's very simple. The, uh, the, the most fundamental attachment to Christ is through the virtue of faith. 
and it is the basis of all of the other supernatural acts that we perform in order to achieve eternal salvation. Therefore, if we lack faith, we cannot posit any act which will have any value at all in the order of salvation. So that's why not just any faith will save us. Uh, and because a faith or a religion which is not of Christ will not attach us to Christ, but will attach us to the devil, the devil being the source of all of those false religions. Question eight. Is it then a sin to say that it does not matter what faith we profess? Yes, it's a very serious sin and one that has uh, become very prevalent in our day. It is the sin of indifferentism, which it came about owing to the 18th century philosophies of skepticism and uh, idealism. That is, we cannot know anything for sure. Our truths are truths that belong to each one of us. And, and they were saying this even about ordinary truths uh, that we believe, that we each have a set of truths that seem to us to be true, and but may not be true for someone else. And so uh, subjectivism uh, was the effect of all of that 18th century thinking. And this crept into religious thinking, because obviously r religious truth is something which is not verifiable by what we see and experience, but it is something that we know only through the testimony of God. So the uh, it is a spiritual thing, in other words. So there was a, a, a movement of subjectivism. It started in the Protestant churches, uh, liberal Protestantism, which reduced religion to a religious experience. You have an experience of God. I have an experience of God. Y your experience might be different from my experience, but it's the same God who is revealing himself to us. Therefore, we both have the same God in us, revealing himself to us. Therefore, our dogmatic differences really don't amount to much. It's just the different ways of expressing the same experience. And so our differences are, are not really important. Therefore, the differences among religions are not important. They are simply different ways in which various peoples in various circumstances express their experience about God. That's what th that led to. So people accepted that because they were already infected by that. Also, civil society was infected by liberalism, which uh, was the same thing. That is, separation of church and state it doesn't matter what religion you belong to. Uh, freedom of religion for all religions, it, it really doesn't matter what you belong to in the practical order. This was something entirely new. The world had never seen such a thing. That is, that, that the state should be indifferent or even atheist with regard to religion, and that religion is something that, that is uh, a private affair among various individuals, do what you want, but don't drag religion into the state or into culture or society. That is known as liberalism, and it is the effect of the same kind of thinking, that there is really no ability to know what the true faith is, all religions have value, or all are more or less good, and therefore the state should recognize all of them, or, or at least not interfere with any of them. And People today think that that's a wonderful thing. It is has become a dogma of the Novus Ordo religion that that all religions are good and and that all religions are means to heaven and it doesn't matter which religion you belong to. That has become a, a an ensconced dogma set upon a pedestal in the Novus Ordo, and it is a sin. It is a very, very grave heresy, and it is a sin. Because, obviously, we must adhere to the true religion revealed by God, as, as we have already established. So to say that it doesn't matter what religion you belong to, or to establish that as, as a, a national norm, it doesn't matter what religion you belong to, or if you belong to a religion at all, 
is is a slap in the face to God. That's all it is, pure and simple. Uh, it is a repudiation of our obligation to God, both as individuals and as a society. So read the answer now uh, of the Catechism. Yes, it is a grievous sin to say so, or even only to think so, for we despise God by it, who has given us the one true faith and therefore has sent his only begotten Son into the world. If it did not matter what we believe, the author says, it would not have been necessary for God to reveal a religion, and our ancestors might all have remained heathens or Jews. See, if it doesn't matter what we believe, then why did the Son of God come to reveal to us the true faith? Why didn't he leave us to our our religions that we cooked up about him and all of those primitive religions that humanity uh, is scarred with, whereby he, he believes in the craziest things about God? If that is pleasing to God, if that is the way of salvation, then why bother with a a Savior? So that's the logic of it. And then your author continues, But this is the judgment, says Jesus Christ, because the light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light. See, the, the light is Christ. And if human beings prefer the darkness to the light, they will be condemned. He says, many were obstinate in their unbelief, although they saw the truth or could have seen it, provided they had been sincere. See, that was especially true of the unfaithful Jews at the time of our Lord, who saw his miracles, heard him say the beautiful things that he did, and most of them, most of the Jews, rejected him. And they were called guilty for having rejected him by St. Peter and St. Stephen. Because not only did they have the eyewitness testimony of seeing these things with their own eyes, but also they had all of the prophets who uh, predicted these things. And so they, they had a great deal of preparation to receive the Messiah and to receive revelation. And for that reason, they, they committed a serious sin in rejecting Christ as the true Messiah. Question number nine. But is it not written, he that feareth God and worketh justice is acceptable to him? Yes, that is from the Acts of the Apostles. And, and read, uh, we'll read the answer to that. Yes, but he who fears God does also believe all that he has revealed, as Cornelius did. He is referring to Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion in the Acts of the Apostles, who who had been a student, obviously, of the true faith, as many of the, of the pagans were. They were students of the Hebrew Scriptures, because the Hebrew Scriptures contained so much wisdom that the ancient world, at least those who were uh, of, of decent morals and who wanted to know the truth, were, were attracted to them as wisdom. And so we see the um, there was another case of a pagan from Candace who uh, wanted to receive baptism because he had been studying the scriptures. He was reading Isaiah, the prophet. We see that the Magi, for example, had been studying the Hebrew scriptures uh, enough to know that they should go and adore the, the Christ child. So there was an interest among the pagans in the Hebrew scriptures. And Cornelius was one of these. So your author is saying that fearing God and working justice presupposes the faith, because you cannot fear God supernaturally, and you cannot work justice, that is, do good works supernaturally, works which have a value towards salvation, unless you have the faith. We already established that. You cannot have charity without faith. You cannot have a supernatural love of God, which is the only thing that counts for salvation, unless you have the basis of supernaturality, which is the faith, the faith infused by God. So the author says, he, on the contrary, who does not believe all that God has revealed, does not fear him either, but rejects his word and denies his veracity. 
and therefore is incapable of doing any supernatural justice, which is necessary for salvation. Your Excellency, now we move on to the object and rule of faith, questions 10 to 18. Hmm. Question 10, what means all that God has revealed? It means the entire deposit of revelation, which is contained in the Old and the New Testaments, and especially what has been revealed by our Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, which has been preached to us by the apostles. There is a deposit of revealed doctrine, and that is known as the deposit of faith. Uh, we are required to believe everything that God has revealed whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, whether it is written or handed down, because there are many things that uh, God has said, uh, many things that Christ has said, which were not written down. And that is known as tradition. These things that pertain to Revelation, which are not written down, that is known as sacred tradition. And we must also believe all of those things. So that's the deposit of faith. Question 11. Was it necessary that God should have revealed to us the truths of salvation in order that we might know them? Uh, yes, because if we had been left to our own lights, our own capabilities with regard to knowing the truths of God, uh, we would have fallen down miserably, and in fact we did. Uh, human reason is able to know God by reason and it is able to deduce the existence of God and the perfections of God from what has been created. That is what St. Paul says, and the Vatican Council of 1870 taught that as a dogma, that we can know the existence of God from creation. However, the human intellect was so darkened by original sin that the truths of religion, which are very high and are very difficult to achieve, became very obscured, so that people were worshipping all sorts of odd things and continued to worship all sorts of odd things. In the ancient world, they, they were worshipping, uh, the Egyptians were worshipping the sun, they were worshipping bulls, they were worshipping cats, the Aztecs were worshipping the devil in the form of a snake. The Incas were doing similar things. Uh, they they sank into, nearly all of the ancient people sank into uh, human sacrifice. Uh, so the, the, I mean, that's just a smattering of, of some of the odd religious practices and, and sick religious practices of the human race. So without revelation, Although, strictly speaking, we are capable of reasoning to the existence and the, the nature of God, human beings fall flat on their faces in, in regard to that, and they break up into all sorts of different religions based on, on all sorts of different errors. And so there's just religious chaos without revelation. So your author responds correctly, Yes, because without divine revelation, we should have known some of them only, meaning the truths necessary for salvation, with great difficulty and very imperfectly, and most of them would have remained entirely unknown to us. So it is true that Aristotle and Plato and a few other of the more advanced Greek philosophers managed to know some things about God accurately, but very imperfectly. So that, that was the best that the, that the pagan world could do. Uh, in the, he quotes the Book of Wisdom, and hardly do we guess aright at things that are upon earth, and with labor do we find the things that are before us. But the things that are in heaven, who shall search out? And who shall know thy thought except thou give wisdom and send thy Holy Ghost from above? Uh, so that's uh, human beings need revelation in order to know God perfectly. If without revelation, they would know him very, very imperfectly and very partially. Question 12. How do we know the truths which God has revealed? We know them by means of the Catholic Church, which is the agency which 
God set up for precisely the proposition of his truth to the world. Obviously, not all of us could have lived at the time of our Lord and followed him around. Only a very select few uh, of human beings had that privilege. So the human race needs a, a, me, a means of knowing what is true faith and what is not true faith, uh, what it should believe, what it should reject. And so God set up what we might call an agency in order to do that. And that's why he said to St. Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever thou shalt bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven. Whatever thou shalt loose upon earth shall be loosed also in heaven. That is the power of God to teach and rule and sanctify the human race in God's name and with God's power, in such a way that God will bind himself, as he says, to the decisions of St. Peter and his successors, uh, which is a, a, a shocking thing, we might say, it is that God would do this, and that's how much power is given to the Church to, to teach, rule, and sanctify the human race. So it, it has the power to teach the human race, and because... It is doing it in God's name and with the assistance of God. Behold, I will be with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. The Catholic Church does so infallibly because it is assisted by God in this essential act that it does of teaching the truths of the Catholic faith. That is what, what God has revealed. So the truths that we must believe must carry the stamp of the teaching of the Catholic Church, because that is the agency of truth that God has set up in the world. So the, your author responds, we know the truths which God has revealed by means of the Catholic Church, which is infallible, that is, by means of the Pope, the successor of St. Peter, and the bishops, the successor of the apostles, who were taught by Christ himself. That's the very nature of the Catholic Church. Question 13. Are we certain of the truths which the Church teaches? Yes, we are because of that promise that Christ gave to St. Peter and which he said to the apostles in general, he who hears you hears me. So there were very clear promises made to, to St. Peter and to the apostles, that is to the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, that they were speaking in the name of God. And therefore, we have certitude when the Catholic Church teaches that this is the Word of God. This is the teaching of God. Uh, that is the, the entire... That power that the Church has to act and teach in, in God's name is everything in the Catholic Church. In other words, if the Catholic Church were merely a collection of human beings who came together and said, we think this is what people should think about God, it would be nothing. You, it, you wouldn't even pay attention to it. It would just be like a Protestant church that, where you have these divines that think, think one thing. And, but it, if it didn't have the power to teach infallibly, if it didn't have the assistance to teach infallibly the human race, it would be nothing. It would just be a, a, just a collection of human beings uh, having theological discussions. But that power that is given to the church hierarchy to teach and rule and sanctify the church in Christ's name is the very essence of the Catholic Church. And it is what attracts people to the Catholic Church precisely, that it says it has that power it proves that it has that power, and it acts with that power. That is, it binds people to believe what it says. And that's why ecumenism and Vatican II is so destructive of the faith and so destructive of the Church, because it denies that power to bind the human race to what it teaches. And essentially says all religions have value and uh, we all, in some way, belong to Christ, even if we're in false religion. 
all, I'm sure you, you know, it's too long to elaborate on all of that, but that, that's essentially the message of Vatican II. It has abandoned that absolutely essential quality of the Catholic Church of having the power of God to teach, to rule, and sanctify the human race. Question 14. Have not the Protestant sects also received their doctrine from Christ himself and preserved it uncorrupted? No. For, first of all, because there was no such thing as Protestantism until the 16th century. There were no Protestants in the early church. You cannot find anything that compares to Protestantism in, any, in the early church at all, whether you look at the recognized Christian church or whether you look at heretical sects which broke off from it. There is no history of Protestantism. It just doesn't exist. And the the first people to come along and say that, that sacred scripture alone contains all truths and that you have the ability to pick up sacred scripture, each one of you, and be inspired by the Holy Ghost to know what it means, so that you don't need a pope or a hierarchy to tell you what it means, which are the two main elements of Protestantism, uh, that doesn't exist until 1517. So obviously, they don't, they didn't get that from Christ. Nowhere in the Gospel and nowhere in the in uh, any of the Acts of the Apostles, Saint Paul. Do you find those two tenets of sola scriptura, that is scripture alone, and free examination of the scriptures? Nowhere do you find those things in anything, whether in speeches, whether in tradition. Nowhere does that exist. It was invented in the mind of Martin Luther. And so therefore they have no connection to Christ at all. They are separated from Christ by 1,500 years, and by an abyss between truth and falsehood. And they're on the side of falsehood. So that's the first thing. The second is that without the assistance of Christ to the Church, it is impossible that doctrine remain uncorrupted. If you have human beings who are unassisted by God, they corrupt doctrine, and we're seeing this with the Novus Ordo. Look at 50 years of the Novus Ordo. These people are intruders. They are not assisted by the Holy Ghost. They are fakes. They, they intend to revolutionize the Church. They, are, they do not have the authority of Christ to teach, rule, and sanctify the Church. Look at how they have corrupted, in a mere 50 years, Catholic doctrine. They are saying that, that sodomy is all right, they're saying that adultery is all right. They are saying that uh, various other moral turpitude is all right. Things that, that even ordinary, decent people know are wrong, they are saying is right. Uh, they're saying fornication is all right. Living together uh, is, is something that is acceptable. Uh, a, a bishop recently said that uh, same-sex relationships are a mark of holiness, and that was in a comment about legalization of homosexual marriages in Florida, that, that these things can, are a mark of holiness. So the, there is a very clear corruption of, of Catholic doctrine because of the lack of assistance uh, to uh, to these people. So and and all of the uh, non-Catholic sects have in, in to a greater or lesser extent corrupted Catholic doctrine. It is only the Catholic Church that has kept the doctrine consistent from the time of Christ and has never contradicted itself. So on both counts the Protestants are unable to say that their doctrine is from Christ. Now they may have a few even even quite a few doctrines that proceed from Scripture. These things, they have, uh, even Scripture itself, they have taken from the Catholic Church. So any truth that you find in any non-Catholic sect is either going to be taken, uh, stolen might be a better word, from the Catholic Church, which has preserved it, 
or they are saying truths that pertain to natural religion, that is, things that we can know by God from reason. So they might believe in the Trinity, for example. Where did they get the doctrine of the Trinity? Except from the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church preserved this very scriptures in which that that is contained. And the Catholic Church discerned the true scriptures from the false ones. Because the Protestant has no way of knowing what is a, a true book of sacred scripture versus a false one. If I'm inspired by this book, I say, well, the Holy Ghost must be talking to me. And the next person says, well, I'm not inspired by it, so that it could not be a true book. And they've gone back and forth on whether the, the, you know, which book is inspired or not. They have contradicted themselves many times. So they have no basis even to know what revelation is without the Catholic Church. So, so they have no claim at all to, to be a representative of, of Christian truth or of revelation. They are just a group of people who have strayed from the true vine, that's all. Question 15. What, therefore, must the Catholic believe? Now, the answer in the book is he must believe all that God has revealed and the Catholic Church proposes to his belief, whether it be contained in Holy Scripture or not. So the object of faith is what God has revealed. The condition of our faith is the proposition of the Church. That is, we cannot know for sure what God has revealed or what he has not revealed, what is truth about God or not except by the proposition of the Church. That's the whole purpose of it. That's the purpose of giving that power to the Church, that it infallibly proposed to us what has been revealed, and the revelation could be contained in sacred scripture, or it could be contained in sacred tradition. Both are sources of revelation. And so it doesn't matter which one they proceed from. Uh, he, he also says, the Church is considered to propose a truth to our belief when she recognizes it to be revealed by God and commands us to believe it. So what the Church finds in Revelation, she commands us to believe, and we must believe it as an object of faith. Question 16. By what sinful act is faith lost? We lose the faith by doubting or denying any article that is proposed by the Church to us for belief. So where the adherence fails, the adherence of, uh, of faith, assent, if that should fail, even by doubting, we lose the faith. We sin against the faith. The lights go out. The building collapses. The, the whole thing falls down. Uh, or to obstinately deny it. Now, people should not confuse a question with a doubt. A thousand questions do not equal a doubt. A doubt is, the mind is in doubt when it will not adhere to a yes or a no. Uh, It will not give assent, but suspends assent because it is pulled by two sides, yes and no. And where it finds itself in an insoluble situation. That is, it cannot move because it sees evidence on both sides. That's doubt. But a question, that is where you might hear something in a sermon or read something in a book and and it might trouble you or you might think, I don't understand that. That's not a doubt. Obviously, you should try to resolve the question and, and go to a priest or read further in order to resolve that, but that's not a doubt. That's a question, and a thousand questions do not equal one doubt. So, you know, people should not be disturbed by that. Also remember that the devil, too, tempts people against the faith, and that's actually a sign of progress in the spiritual life when you are tempted against the faith, and people become very disturbed and troubled when they are tempted against the faith, but they should uh, uh, just ignore it, say a prayer, and move on. 
and they will see that these temptations will come and go in their lives. You know, it, it's it's something that that uh, is a storm that passes, and that these are permitted in order that we perfect our faith. The, there's the old saying, "No pain, no gain," and the purpose of this life is to is that God exercise us in virtue. And he permits evil people to exist and to do evil in order to exercise the good in virtue. It's the whole purpose of this life. And so this life is a constant struggle in which we are exercised in virtue. So he even permits the devil to tempt us against the faith and shake the foundations of our building, so to speak, in order to exercise us in virtue. Question 17. How is faith regained if it has been lost? We must pray to God. The, the the key to all salvation is prayer. If we go to God with a sincere heart and and pray to him to regain our faith, he will give us that grace to do that. He will he will direct us in the right way because that's necessary for salvation. He will grant us anything that we ask for if we do it with the right conditions, that is sincerity and perseverance and fervor. Uh, he will he will grant us that necessarily, and and will bring us down the right path. People who ask ardently for the truth are led by providence to to obtain the truth, and uh, so uh, he needs to pray and to be sorry for his sin. He needs to uh, once he he does re- regain the faith, he needs to confess his sins and receive absolution. Question 18, our last question. If, then, the true faith is essentially necessary to salvation, and the Catholic faith is the only true one, is it not a great grace to be a Catholic Christian? Yes, obviously. It's something like being the people on Noah's Ark. There are so many people who who don't have this, whether through their own fault or not through their own fault, there are billions and billions of people who are ignorant of it, and with the advent of Vatican II, many who had it now no longer have it. They have defected from the faith, and it, it is a terrible tragedy. So we hear of you know 1.2 or 1.3 billion people adhering to the Catholic Church. Of that, what percentage really have the faith and really and truly adhere to the truths of the Catholic faith? Very, very few. Probably less than 1%. It is a, it is a horrid tragedy, uh, and it is permitted by God for his own reasons. Uh, we could speculate on all of those things. But it is a, it is a, a tragedy, uh, and I do think it is a punishment that they have, do not enjoy the, the treasure of the Catholic faith that their ancestors did. The, the beauty of, of the Catholic Church in its normal functioning. Of course, we have the faith and we see its, its beauty, uh, but I wouldn't say that it's fair to say that the Church is functioning normally in these times. This is a, a case where it's occupied by heretics in the highest places, and, and so it, it, is a, it is in a way paralyzed. And we see spiritual carnage every day of people losing the faith and People delighting in all of the faithless things that, that Bergoglio says. This is a sign of a, of a general dissolution of the Catholic faith. And so we should cherish it all the more. Those of us who have survived should cherish it all the more because it is, it is the key to, of salvation. Uh, it, is, it is our hope. It is our joy. It is what orders our souls. People are attracted to the Catholic faith because... Uh, for one reason, uh, or among other reasons, but for one, uh, it, it it all makes sense. It all coheres and is consistent. That's one of the great attractions to the Catholic faith, that it all adds up, uh, which, of course, would be true of the true religion. See, it's like a, a, a diamond that has a crystalline structure. It, it, it attracts light to itself, and, and we can see through it because it has the crystalline structure, whereas uh, a piece of coal <laughs> doesn't permit any light at all. Uh, but because everything is, is so consistent and, and 
perfectly crystalline in the in the Catholic Church. It has a way of attracting people, and so we should rejoice that we have been given this jewel of the Catholic faith, and thank God every day for it, and pray to God that we never lose it. As we close out this episode, we have covered the faith in general, the nature and necessity of faith, and the object and rule of faith. And I want to thank His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn uh, for his time and being with us on this episode. Is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode? Oh, just that uh, we need to maintain the faith in these times in which there every day is a is a there is a an assault upon it in all ways, in, both in people's morals, people's beliefs, what we hear on the media. There is a constant assault on our faith, and we must daily renew our faith and and cherish it. Uh, before we go, Your Excellency, I would like to remind our listeners of Most Holy Trinity Seminary and its website, mostholytrinityseminary.org, where many must-read articles and sermons and His Excellency's blog can be found. Uh, those who contribute $75 or more annually receive the Bishop's Newsletter. Well, once again, Your Excellency, thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. If you have any questions for His Excellency or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catechism at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions or comments to His Excellency. And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us are strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Jason Gordiana. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.